Hello, Legion of Audience. This is James. And before we get started today, I wanted to take a second and let you all know about the brand new Who Would Win Patreon. If you'd like to support the show and get behind-the-scenes access like you've never seen before, go to patreon.com slash whowouldwinshow right now. Who Would Win patrons will have access to outtake videos, early info on battles, and even get a vote on characters that we'll use in upcoming episodes. So if you'd like to support me and the show, head to patreon.com slash whowouldwinshow, and for as little as five bucks a month, you can define yourself as more than just a fan. You'll be an official member of the Legion. Hope to see you there. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. The portal to the next fight in the Mortal Kombat tournament opens and Johnny Cage steps inside, ready to fight whoever he must to advance. Stepping through, the movie star is accosted by the smell of a city sewer. This is disgusting, Johnny mutters out loud as he looks about the chamber. It is then that he sees a figure hunched over a table full of pizza. Is that... A turtle? Michelangelo turns around and shakes his head. <laughs> Either this pizza's older than I thought, or you're here to fight me, dude. Johnny Cage looks at the Ninja Turtle and says, I'm not just here to fight you. I'm here to shred you. It's John Carlton versus the party, dude. It's Hollywood versus the sewers. It's Johnny Cage versus Michelangelo. Today on Who Would Win? And welcome to another episode of Who Would Win, a show that completely ignores anything important happening in the world and instead focuses on a fictional battle between two characters from the worlds of comic, sci-fi, and fantasy. I'm your host, James Gavs, and as always, I'm joined by the one and only Race Tacanus. Tonight's matchup is a titanic battle of martial arts mastery that has been a long time in the making for the Who Would Win show. In one corner, you have Johnny Cage, one of Mortal Kombat's popular combatants, versus Michelangelo, the pizza-loving Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle. As usual, I did the patented Who Would Win Google test just to see how many times this matchup has been discussed. And this exact matchup has indeed been discussed so many times over the past three freaking decades, it's ridiculous. So it's about time this, this debate came to an epic conclusion with a defined, definitive winner as is what is normal and expected for the Who Would Win show. Legion of Audience, you're welcome. Ray, what are your thoughts on tonight's matchup? I'm always excited to have a video game character on the show. This is not something that is new. This is not something that is unknown. Johnny Cage is easily one of my favorite characters in video game history, and we've done a lot of Mortal Kombat characters. We've done a lot of video game characters, 
Johnny Cage has always had that special place in my heart going all the way back to, what, 1992 when he first started appearing in our lives. And the idea of a movie star who enters a Kumite death tournament against monsters. Why? So he can prove that he does his own stunts. That appeals to me on a, on a level I can't fully explain otherwise. And then Michelangelo, the Ninja Turtles, essential part of any childhood of anybody under the age of, what, 50? You had the Ninja Turtles in your life literally at any age from 1 to 50. This The, the, the Ninja Turtles have lasted longer than the Civil War. I think we should have monuments to them in our major cities. I mean, if you come to my house, you'll definitely see monuments to uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Batman. Not to Johnny Cage, though. That is surprising. I, weird. I, I, I think, weird. Yeah, I think I should give him a little bit more uh, you know, notice to that. Now, listen, Ray, I got to talk to you about something that's been affecting some of the fans, the Legion of Audience of the Who Would Win show. Look, uh, this is more of a public service announcement. I love getting these DMs or texts or even emails from people saying, hey, I did an impromptu Who Would Win kind of debate with friends and family at dinner parties or at a party or get together at a convention, whatever it is. And things went horribly wrong. Of course they did. You know why? Because first of all, they didn't put in a really good judge. It was just two people debating on either side. And unless someone's like, okay, you win, which will never happen. It just ends as a disaster. Then you put in a judge. Is the judge good? Is it a really good judge? Like the judges we have on the who would win show sometimes. The point is this, there's a whole structure. You got to put in place. There's a judge has to make a decision. And by the way, when the judge makes their decision, you can't pull a race to Canis. You got to let them give a decision and then be done with it and be like, I might disagree, but okay, I see your logic and then move on from that. If you don't follow these steps, disaster will happen. You'll have no more friends. You won't be invited anywhere. What I'm trying to say is you'll turn into a race to Canis. No one wants that. Ray, what are your thoughts on this? I am so excited whenever I hear that the people at home, the Legion of Audience even, but mostly the awkward allies and the Rainiacs out there, are doing their own Who Would Win show home game. I think it's a thing we should market and purchase and put out there and let people buy. I'm trying to make money here. Let me do it. The point I'm trying to make here is that I want people to have these arguments. They're going to be doing it anyway. They may as well have a structure behind it and cutting me a check over it. But the actual point I'm trying to make here is that you need a great judge. You need a you need an impartial judge who's willing to listen to the points, but you have to do the research. If you're saying you're doing these battles at home and you're not putting in hours upon hours upon, dare I say, even more hours of research going into the battle, you're going to get an inferior product to the Who Would Win show by nature, right? That's just what's going to happen. You've seen Thunderdome if you're a patron. You understand what happens when you don't prepare for your battles at all and then just have to do it on the spot. Things can go wrong, is what I'm trying to say. Look, I, I, gotta t I gotta agree with Ray on this. You know, when you want a judge, you need a judge who, let's just say it, you need a judge that Ray is gonna love. You need a judge that Ray is gonna say, yes, I agree with their logic, their decision-making. I agree with how they process a decision. Luckily for today's episode, we have a judge who does none of that. Making another appearance on the Who Would Win show. It's podcaster extraordinaire. It's fan favorite. You know who I'm talking about, Ray. Oh, yeah, it's Robert Clark Chan. Robert, welcome back to Who Would Win. I heard you talking trash about Thunderdome, Ray. I will remember this. Unbelievable. Losing points before the episode even begins. Listen, Robert, you're a man of many talents and tastes. According to Neil deGrasse Tyson, you are a world-class chess boxer. The ghost of Macho Man Randy Savage has said that you are the greatest intercontinental champion of all time. And GQ Magazine has you listed as person of the year for 1984, 1985, and 1960, Robert, you are one of the greatest human beings 
ever to walk the planet Earth. That is universally accepted. So with all that being said, tell the Legion of Audience what someone as great as you has been up to. I have been uh, chess boxing. It's true. I've, I, I've talked to uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson or Neil deGrasse Tyson, as some people here. I'm not going to name names. I'm not going to name Could be James anybody. or anything. But You're not going to um, James names. I hear you. No, nope. I've uh, been working on taking who would win to the streets. I agree that you can't just uh, have these discussions out in public or at a, you know, a, a a dinner party or whatever. You can't just leave amateurs to this because it just gets too heated and terrible. So I have been uh, offering my services as a judge, just showing up at people's places and saying, let me settle your debate for you. What, what do you have strong, ardent beliefs about? You want to you talk politics? You want to talk religion? You want to talk comic books? Uh, you know, you do that. And then we sit down, have a powwow, and I give them the correct answer. You know, Robert, I've seen your Craigslist ad as, you know, judge for hire for uh, dinner parties and impromptu debates. And yeah. I think you got to up your rates. I think uh, you're not charging enough. Look, before we get into this battle, which is going to be insane, tell the Legion of Audience what you've been up to. Because you're, you do a lot of stuff. You're a podcaster like no other that I know. So what have you been up to? Uh, I mean, doing the podcast, knowing it's half the podcast. We've been doing cartoons. Gina's been gone. Uh, we've been getting some uh, guests. It's been a lot of fun. You got the uh, AE double back for those people who like uh, professional wrestling. That's also uh, a hoot. So you should check it out because now there's so much professional wrestling out there. It's very hard to keep up. So, you know. I got to compliment you, Robert. Like, you you carry almost every show you're on. Like, you know, uh, knowing half the podcast, you're by I far agree. my favorite yeah. favorite member of that whole Mine cast. Mine, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, the show would just die without you on it. Race to Canis, what's your favorite aspect of Robert Clark Chan? Uh, well, I, I agree completely that the show would die, knowing it's half the podcast, without Robert Clark Chan involved. <laughs> and I can speak to that. For, I think it would die without any one of the three of us involved, quite honestly. You probably uh, yeah. Perhaps in equal measures. Uh, but mostly, if Gina left, we would be done in the water. Uh, let's just keep it real. Uh, but Robert Clark Chan, look, I, I've 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 been around Robert Clark Chan for a long time. We have broken bread together. Our children have played together, and yet still, I cannot get a reasonable decision from the most populous judge of all time. I might even make the argument that if Robert Clark Chan had never been a judge on the Who Would Win show, I would have a four-season edge over James Gavsey. Look it up. I think if you removed all those myriad of losses that Robert Clark Chan has unfairly given me, uh, I would be so dominant over James Gavsey. I would, I, we would basically be looking for a new co-host at this point of the show. Here's the thing. I am biased against bad debating. So, you know, I'm, I'm sorry you got the short end of that stick, but maybe be better at what you do. Now I know you're trolling. Right. You know what? It's like that very famous politician's wife said, you know, be better or be best. I don't know what she said. Be best. Mm -hmm. Was that it? Be best? Yeah. Ray always tries to follow her advice and be best on every episode of Who Would Win. Doesn't always work out. All this is interesting, but we have to get to today's epic battle. With all that being said, of course, Ray, do us the honors and announce today's matchup. Representing Mortal Kombat. The movie star who might be filled with anger, but despite all his rage, he's still just a big guy named Cage. Johnny Cage. 
and representing TMNT, the Ninja Turtle who isn't allowed in church anymore after doing the nunchucks, Michelangelo. I think we just lost two sponsors with that one, Ray. Congratulations. That was a two-for-one special. All right, well done, Ray. Now, before we go any further, let's go over the official rules of a Who Would Win match. Rule number one, each debater will make three points. Rule number two, the Who Would Win match is a random encounter in a neutral location with no prior knowledge of the opponent or time to prepare for the fight. Rule number three, the debater must stay within the confines of the character's personality, and the exact version of that character has to be specifically stated. Now, Ray, I know there's a whole bunch of different versions of Johnny Cage. Clearly, you're using the Johnny Cage from the most recent animated uh, film that came out on Max, otherwise known as HBO Max. Is that correct? It's that's real good. I'm gonna go with the video game version because that's my bag. I had a feeling. All right, listen, there are so many great versions of Michelangelo. You could do the animated version, many different types of animated versions, video game versions, but I'm going with the comic book version, specifically the IDW comic book version, because there's just some really cool stuff about the character within that comic book series. All right, rule number four. Debaters really use examples of skills, powers, or weapons that are long established part of the character's continuity. Beats from non-canon crossovers are allowed, but we give them less weight. Rule number five. The winner of the debate is whomever the judge decides is the best case for defeating their opponent by death, submission, or battlefield removal, and where no attack or threat can be made for at least two minutes, and where no outside interference is allowed. And finally, rule number six. The judge is the final arbiter and can disallow or veto at any point they feel violates these rules or established logic. And before we get started, don't forget to leave the Who Would Win Show a five-star rating and a fantastic written review wherever you download and listen to podcasts. We have a new sponsor for Who Would Win, and I think y'all might enjoy this one. It is Marvel Strike Force. Marvel Strike Force is a mobile game that taps into everything we all love about Marvel Comics. You get to pick a squad of your favorite Marvel heroes you know, and villains, let's keep it real, and team them up to fight big bads like Doctor Doom and, of course, save the universe. Your goal in Marvel Strike Force is to power up your characters and compete PvP against other players in multiple different modes. And you know I'm not telling you all about this empty-handed, because if you're a new user and sign up with our promo code MAXPOOL, M-A-X-P-O-O-L, you're going to get hooked up with all kinds of free stuff to get you started the right way. Let's face facts. You love Marvel, you love gaming, and you got a phone. So take a sec and check out Marvel Strike Force using the link in the description of this episode, ideally, and use our promo code MAXPOOL and get the whole Who Would Win show hookup. Thanks again to Marvel Strike Force and thanks to me for this great read. Good job, me. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Need to supercharge your hiring? You need a super hiring partner. You need Indeed. I've been a fan of Indeed.com for a long time and been singing their praises for even longer. You know, one of the things I love about Indeed is that not only can you find a great job on Indeed.com, start there, great place to look, but if you're hiring, 
you could invite candidates, right? Candidates you invite to apply are three times more likely to apply for your job than candidates who just kind of see it in a random search. That's according to US Indeed data. It's like you invite somebody and they feel welcome to your party, right? They're more likely to want to work for you or at least check out what this job's all about. And we'll get you one step closer to that hire by immediately matching you with quality candidates with Indeed. Indeed's gonna do the hard work for you. It shows you the candidates whose resume on Indeed fits your description immediately after you post. You're going to find the people. They're going to put them right in front of you so you can hire even faster. And these are quality candidates. These are people who already meet your minimum expectations right off the top at the beginning. Join more than 3 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. Start hiring now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash WWW. Offer good for a limited time. Claim your $75 credit now at Indeed.com slash WWW. Indeed.com slash WWW. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And now let's get to the tail of the tape for both of our combatants. Ray, please give us the details for Johnny Cage. Johnny Cage is both an action movie star as well as a competitor in the Mortal Kombat tournament. He was created by John Tobias and first appeared in the video game Mortal Kombat back in 1992. Action star of such films as Dragon Fist, Dragon Fist 2, Ninja Mime, and the award-winning Sudden Violence, Johnny Cage was duped by Shang Tsung to enter the Mortal Kombat tournament to prove that he didn't rely on special effects for his fighting and also to increase his marketability. Been there. Realizing what was going on not long after reaching the island, Cage quickly joined the Earthrealm team with Lord Raiden and punched as many groins as possible in his fights. Fun fact, this is a fairly well-known fun fact, but it's worth calling out all the same. The creators of Mortal Kombat really, really, really wanted to get Jean-Claude Van Damme on board to be in the game as a character, even going so far as to take clips from his movies and put video game backgrounds behind them to show him what they wanted to do. In the end, though, Van Damme passed on the role, but they liked the idea so much, they spun it into what became Johnny Cage, a narcissistic Hollywood star who makes schlocky action movies and does the splits to groin punch other people. I'm not sure if that's an homage or an outright attack, but I do know that Johnny Cage is made of magic. And that is Johnny Cage. I love it. It's like cage fighting and what's his name? Johnny, what's his name from Cobra Kai? I mean, this is just combining two great genres. Johnny Lawrence. That's right, Johnny Lawrence. And now you've got like something even better and that's no offense to Jean-Claude Van Damme, someone who I had a couple of really I weird love Van Damme. Uh, I love Van Damme. things with. Yes, I, I, we could have another episode where we'll talk about interesting Hollywood encounters with certain B-list celebrities. All right. Now, here are the details for Michelangelo. Michelangelo, commonly referred to as Mikey, is an iconic character in the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles franchise, known for his fun-loving and easygoing personality. Co-created by Kevin Eastman and Peter Laird, Michelangelo first came to life in the TMNT comic book series all the way back in 1984. Distinguishable by his orange bandana, Mikey is the free spirit of the Turtle Quartet, often serving as a comic relief amidst the high tension of their urban ad adventures. His catchphrase, cowabunga, and his love for pizza become synonymous with his character, 
creating a lasting impact in pop culture. Often portrayed as the youngest turtle, Michelangelo is the heart and soul of the team. He's most recognized for his dual nunchucks, which he wields with mastery, combining his skilled martial arts with a playful flair that's uniquely his. Despite his laid-back nature, Mikey is as committed to the turtle's cause as his brothers, showcasing courage and determination when it counts the most. His character often serves as a reminder of the importance of balancing the seriousness of life with joy and humor. And here's an interesting fact about Michelangelo. Did you know that his relationship with his brothers has some historical truth to it? It's true. Despite butting heads with his brother Leonardo all the time, it turns out that Raphael, who we're shifting the focus to, has a soft spot for his brother Michelangelo, the brother he feels the closest to. However, this is the opposite to the relationship the real Raphael, the 16th century Italian painter, had with the real Michelangelo during the Renaissance period. It turns out these two artists and painters extraordinaire did not like each other at all and possibly had a feud going during their time. Somehow, I don't think the actual fight between them would have been that epic of a matchup, though. Just, you know, call me crazy. All right. Now you have the facts on both opponents. Robert, do you have any questions before we get started? How dare you underestimate the fisticuffic skills of painters, of Renaissance painters? Come on now. Robert Clark Chan, do you know what? I had to go to a musical rendition of Renaissance artists and what have you. And you know how much I hate musicals. Let me tell you what was really happening during that time period. The, the the painters, the artists, the whatever you want to call them, they got paid by these. They were paid by these patrons, these wealthy patrons, patrons, I should say, you know, who are royalty and whatever, to help them make really nice artwork. You really think those types of people were good fighters, Robert Clark Chan? The answer is maybe. You know, yeah. and I will say right now, for the record, the Jamesers, that yes. when you said that Michelangelo had the orange bandana. I saw Robert Clark Chan audibly cringe <laughs> because he's a TMNT comic book purist where they all wear red. And I knew exactly what was going through his mind yeah. when you said it. <laughs> well, hold on. Is it orange or yellow? Because on my Canadian TV, which had some horrible things because we couldn't afford great TVs, it looked mm -hmm. kind of yellowish to me. So Robert Clark Chan, is it orange or is it yellow? On my American comic books, they're black. Because wow. it was black, black and, and white. white. Yep. That being said, uh, as much as I, I want to ding you, like uh, um, also, I was a Street Fighter guy, not a Mortal Kombat guy, and Johnny Cage was always my least favorite character, so I think we're kind of, we're balanced. We're starting out fresh, level playing field. Let's do this. Let's do it. All right, race to Cadence. Let's get this party started. Hit us with your point number one. Point number one for Johnny Cage. Here we go. Let's just talk about some of his basics, some of his weapons, because Johnny Cage is a very highly trained martial artist. You know, he's not just an action movie star. He lives that life. It's not just like he's throwing a fake kick on camera, then going to his trailer for a Perrier. Yes. Okay. He is doing that, but there is a huge amount of training behind it. Officially in lore. Johnny Cage knows Jeet Kune Do, The Way of the Fist, Bruce Lee's uh, martial arts. He studied in it. He's also studied in karate, in Shinto Ryu, and Shorin Ryu. Now, I don't know a lot about Shorin Ryu, but that sounds like something out of Street Fighter. Uh, some sort of special move that might have been thrown by a certain bandana-wearing character all his own. I'm just saying. Now, he's done some amazing stuff because he is a great fighter. One of the wild things about the Mortal Kombat tournament is, yes, he has superpowers. We'll get into them a little bit later. But at his core, he is one of the most tremendous fighters you could ever run across, and he's got a chip on his shoulder. 
unlike Michelangelo, he has something he feels he needs to prove to the entire world, and that's what brought him to the tournament in the first place. He once knocked Scorpion real hard and then grabbed his own chain and pulled Scorpion towards himself with it to hit him again. If you do that to a demonic ninja, you are pulling some great moves. This is a character who can punch you to the point where you'll start flying through the air, and then he can keep punching you to juggle you, keep you in the air. The amount of strength and power required to stop a human body from committing to gravity through mere force alone is flat out incredible. It's nothing that Michelangelo has ever been shown to do. He also once in lore fought Scorpion and Sub-Zero at the same time and, and, and won. He was able to walk away from that. One time Kano, another great fighter, knocked Johnny Cage off of a death bridge and Johnny Cage was able to grab the side of it, use his physical prowess and flip himself back up onto the bridge and keep fighting. And let's keep this in mind as well. Michelangelo, I mean, I love Michelangelo. I love the Ninja Turtles. But Mortal Kombat characters have a durability that cannot be underestimated under any circumstances whatsoever. Regularly, they are suffering broken bones in fights, horrific injuries that would straight out kill a normal person, as in weapons being shoved through their bodies, and they keep fighting as if nothing went wrong. Here are some of the things that he has done in lore. He was frozen by Sub-Zero, right? And he was able to keep fighting. If your body temperature is lowered to the point, James, you brought this up in your Sub-Zero versus Elsa battle. If your body is brought to that negative temperature so quickly, you should die. Not come back within three seconds and keep fighting. He's been pierced through the chest by Scorpion's, uh, you know, hook blade, and he's been able to keep fighting. That should kill you. He's been electrocuted by Raiden, the god of thunder. Ahsoka Tano went down six times to electrocution and got knocked out. Johnny Cage just keeps fighting. Another reason why he is great. And Sindel. Uh, Sindel, of course, we all know would be Shao Kahn's, I believe, uh, bride. She has a powerful sonic attack like Black Canary. He's been hit to the face by it and was able to recover but a few seconds later. When it comes to fighting, taking damage, and going on, Mortal Kombat characters just plain do it better, and Johnny Cage is representative of that, and that's my point number one. All right, look, it, there's not so much I can I need to I can push back on for any of that, but there is some stuff I can kind of add to and possibly take away from. Now, first of all, let's talk about the obvious. Johnny Cage, he's not a weapons master. He's not a weapons person, and he does have regular human anatomy kind of going for him. He takes a lot of punishment, and he might get up from it pretty quick, but, you know, he's still going to take it. Someone in a big death battle, kind of who would win match, whatever you want to call it, with weapons is going to have the advantage. Now, on top of that, I get it. We're playing by video game physics here. And even though, you know, it's a comic book uh, version I'm using, the video game physics do lend themselves to some kind of ridiculous, ridiculous feats. But I think it's a neutral location. The who would win rules are going to kind of even things out a little bit with that. Also, I got a question is motivation. So Michelangelo is fighting with his brothers. He's trying to stay alive. He's trying to fight for the humanity. He's trying to save people. He's a hero because that's who he is. And I've met this person before. Johnny Cage is that actor. And what's great about Johnny Cage is that he's an actor first. He's a martial artist second. And he's a fighter third. That's the thing. He's trying to prove to everyone, yes, I am that good. That's it. When that ego comes into play, when that Vegeta type of all of a sudden 
you can't, uh, you know, your, your whole thing is about how good I am, not that I'm serving a greater purpose. That really kills your motivation when things get really, really tough. The hero who's fighting selflessly like a Goku is going to overcome and stay in this for a much longer period of time. All right, now let me get to my point number one. And for my point number one, let's talk about Michelangelo's superhuman abilities because he's got them. So as that, what's it called? An anthropomorphic turtle in the, you know, T TMNT uh, universe. Just like his brother, he's got a range of these physical abilities that are way beyond what human beings can do. And he doesn't have superpowers in the traditional comic book sense where they're, you know, he got blasted by energy or he got bitten by something. But he's got this mutated physiology and this training that give him a lot of superhuman type of enhanced abilities. So, for example, he's got super strength. I had to research this a lot. He's listed as being able to lift a ton overhead. I don't know if it's quite that much, but it's definitely at least a thousand pounds. To put that in perspective, Captain America, you know, peak super peak that that superhuman level just right above peak human. He's pressing 800 pounds. Michelangelo is insanely strong. He's got super speed. He's not the flash, but he moves much faster than peak human. I'd say he's got slight superhuman speed as well. He does a typical dodging of gunfire moving faster than I can see if he pushes it. That is. And just he's generally a very hard target to hit because of partially his super speed. But he's also got superhuman endurance. This is a resilience that he has. It's really crazy. His stamina is impressive. He evidently can engage in this like strenuous fighting activity for hours without tiring. I think that's a slight exaggeration, but imagine fighting for an hour, full, full blast, full speed. I think that's something he can do. That's definitely superhuman. He's got that enhanced agility. How many times have we seen the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles jump from one, one rooftop across a city block to another? That is insane. And he's climbing up walls. He's bouncing all over the cityscape. This might be one of the best people at superhuman parkour that we've ever seen outside of Spider-Man. Now, he's also got enhanced durability. Let's talk about his shell. His shell is evidently bulletproof and very resistant to piercing weapons. And he can also put his head back down in there if he needs to. And it's just really cool if he does that. But on top of that, his regular body is also insanely durable too. He can take falls from buildings and hit the ground. It's gonna hurt, but he can kind of walk away. He's getting thrown through things. He's getting battered by Shredder and by these the other mutants that are hitting him. He's actually insanely durable. On top of that, here's a fun one. He's got longevity. Evidently, just like a turtle, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles can live possibly to two, three hundred, four hundred years. That has nothing to do with this fight. I just think that's a cool fact. But here's a good one. He can also heal at an accelerated rate. Now, he's not a Deadpool or a Wolverine, but evidently he can heal anywhere from three to four times faster than a regular human being when it comes to getting hit or what have you. So if he's taking punishment and Johnny Cage is like, I got him down on the ropes. Yeah, he's got him down the ropes for approximately, what, one fifth to one sixth of the time. It would take someone else to you know, get up from that. This is someone who's going to get up fast, who's going to get has that strength, that endurance and what have you. He's got the physical goods to take it to Johnny Cage. That's my point. Number one. All right. OK, fine. You know, and I like me some Ninja Turtles. I think that uh, I think I think you're sandbagging me right now, honestly. But what I'll say about this is that Johnny Cage is not a normal martial artist, much like Michelangelo is not a normal martial artist. It's been said that Johnny Cage was born from a Mediterranean cult that breeds warriors for the gods. I know the Mortal Kombat storylines are crazy. Now, um, that is something that I, I, I read. It might have been said at one point. I give it a 50% thing. What we do know about Johnny Cage is he has supernatural powers and Michelangelo does not. We'll get into that in a moment. But you talk about general opponents. And Michelangelo isn't really fighting his brothers a lot, is he? No. He's fighting Shredder sometimes, sure. That takes a four-on-one to match up with him, doesn't it? So who else is he fighting? Baxter Stockman's mouse robots? You know, he's not exactly fighting the best of the best all the time. 
Johnny Cage is, though. This is a guy who literally fights ninjas all day long. That is literally his job to fight these ninjas. And you say, oh, what happens uh, when he gets Michelangelo uh, down on the ropes, right? When Michelangelo goes down on the ropes, he'll recover quickly. No, when Johnny Cage gets you down on the ropes, he finishes you. There's a fatality that happens when Johnny Cage gets you down on the ropes. He doesn't need a lot of time to do it either. All good stuff. Listen, I love a battle when you have two amazingly great characters like this one. Okay, Robert Clark Chan, you've heard one point from both Ray and myself. Where's your head at so far with this battle? Well, I know you guys slow roll this stuff, so round one is often can just be completely thrown away, and that is definitely what you've done here. Um, <laughs> we've got some video game physics uh, for Johnny Cage, and that's all well and good. We've got a lot of enhanced stats from Michelangelo. That all that all kind of makes sense. Like a, a lot of the punching up in the air stuff seems to be like roughly on a level with lifting a ton over your head. I'm honestly... Uh, N not really a fan of uh, the way y'all are taking your uh, uh, counterpoints and just going off on your own with that. James, you uh, brought up the motivation, which Ray did not bring up. Ray brought up uh, opponents, which is not something that James brought up. You're just trying to slide extra points in there. It's uh, not technically illegal, but I don't I, I don't much care for it. So you're both uh, on notice. Play fair here. It's a tie so far. Ray, are you feeling like Robert Clark Chan has gotten to a point where he may, I don't know, know us both a little too well? You know, after you've judged more than 20 who would win episodes, at a certain point, you start figuring some stuff out, and I'm not here to say I like it. <laughs> I can't believe also, I'm agreeing with Ray Cicadas. Go uh, ahead, Robert. Let's go ahead and uh, uh, take back the curtain a little bit. I had a hand in crafting the current rule set. And some of those things went in there because of the stuff you guys pull. I'm keeping you honest. I mean, you're not wrong. I have no idea what you're referring to, Robert Clark Chan, whatsoever. All right, Ray. We're I guess we're tied. And on the uh, you know on the naughty list, according to Robert Clark Chan, go ahead and hit us with your point number two. Point number two for Johnny Cage. Let's talk about some of his battling. Let's talk about some of his moves. Let's talk about some of the things that he does. Now, one of the things that I learned about Johnny Cage, and I thought I knew a lot about Johnny Cage. It turned out, coming into this battle, I knew a fraction of what I thought I knew. One of the things about newer Johnny Cage is that as far as Evo goes, and that's the big fighting video game tournaments, Mortal Kombat's one of the games that is very serious in there, is that Johnny Cage is known as being great at zoning. What that means is that Johnny Cage can keep his opponent at a certain distance away from him uh, to his own advantage and keep him at that spot. He's excellent at zoning, which means that Michelangelo, who is, is great, but he's striking with nunchucks, which do have a limited range. Uh, he's able to, generally speaking, as far as fighting goes, keep Michelangelo at a distance away from him and keep him there that the nunchucks will not necessarily be able to reach Johnny Cage and will not necessarily be a factor. Now let's talk about some of his general moves in game. These are moves that Johnny Cage very often has. One, he does a flip kick. You remember Guile from Street Fighter 2, Robert Clark Chan, who loves Street Fighter. He does his own version of that, of uh, the, uh, the, the, the kick that Guile does. He does, it's called a flip kick and it's great. He does a move called the Rising Shadow, which is again, kind of like a nice little like uh, uppercut kind of a move. He also does this great move where he slides forward using his shadow powers 
because he has shadow powers and he delivers an uppercut uh, that absolutely hits you. And of course, his most famous move of all time, the split leg groin punch. This is a guy who's been doing the split leg groin punch move for over 30 years at this point. He is a master of the groin-based offense. I would argue that myself in the wrestling ring for many, many years often uh, used and utilized a purely groin-based attack, and I can tell you it works. It works in the ring when you're allowed to get away with it, and given the lack of rules in a Mortal Kombat tournament or a street fight in general, he can get away with it a whole heck of a lot. He's been doing it a long time. It also shows his flexibility. And then the big ones, he has the shadow kick, which allows him to, I don't even know how it works, but he creates a shadow form that moves exceptionally fast and delivers a high kick to the face like Shawn Michaels' sweet chin music. And he also can conjure and throw standard fireballs. This is a guy who has a projectile attack of a green fireball that he sort of flips through the air and can do it over and over and over again. And this is just something that Johnny Cage is known to do. This is why the zoning is so deeply important because he's throwing fireballs Michelangelo can't get close enough with the nunchucks, Michelangelo will go down. And I do want to bring up his range of opponents. I mentioned it as a little bit of a teaser, got called out by Robert Clark Chan for it. Doesn't matter. I'm keeping the plan anyway, even if he's mad at me for it. Because again, Michelangelo only fights a certain range of opponents. They tend to be mutated animals and or a shredder who he needs to fight 4v1, I will say again, in order to even have a slight chance. Meanwhile, Johnny Cage is fighting mystical ninjas. He's fighting demonic from hell ninjas. He's fighting robot ninjas, cyborg ninjas. He's fighting gods of thunder. He also, in, in more recent Mortal Kombat video games, talk about range of opponents. Here are some of the other characters that Johnny Cage has fought in the video games. He has fought Arnold Schwarzenegger's The Terminator. He has fought The Predator. He has fought the Xena, what is it, Xenomorph alien from the movie Aliens. He's fought the Joker. He's fought Robocop. He's fought Kratos from God of War, as well as horror movie icons, Leatherface, Jason Voorhees, Freddy Krueger, and my favorite person who appeared in Mortal Kombat that he got combat experienced against was Spawn. One of the most powerful characters we've ever seen on the Who Would Win show. So when it comes to variety of opponents, not to mention different branches and breeds of ninja opponents, specifically talking to what Michelangelo is, Johnny Cage has been there, done that, signed the autograph, and went back to his trailer. And that's my point number two. Ray Stacanus, you actually bring up some really good information, and I got to address this head on just the same way that, you know, Robert Clark Chan told me to do so, because he's a great judge. Just face it. All right. Now, in terms of zoning, in martial arts terms, that's called range, right? And there's a whole bunch of different types of range. You got your close in, you got your grappling range, ground fighting range, weapons range, your close quarters range, that's knees and elbows, your boxing range, your striking range, whatever. The great thing about ninjutsu, which is Michael, Michelangelo's, I'm just calling him Mikey from here on. Mikey's style is that it operates in all of those ranges and he has experience in all of those ranges. I'm glad that someone as high level as Johnny Cage understands, hey, if I want to use this tactic or this technique, I have to have this distance. I have to be at this range or in this zone for my opponent. But guess what? Mikey also understands that to a very high level. That's going to be neutralized very quickly. On top of that, the split leg groin punch is going to hit Mikey in his shell. I don't know if you ever look closely. 
I'm not saying I have, but that shell goes all over, including uh, Mikey's no-no danger zone. So all of a sudden he hits him in the shell. He's uh, hurting his hand. That's the same shell that's bulletproof. Good luck with that. Uh, groin attacks, not a good thing to do the uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Now, I acknowledge also that Ray's general and overall groin knowledge is off the charts. It, it's way surpasses mine. He's studied the groin and groin attacks in you know extensively. I'll give that one to Ray Stacanus. Mikey can tank fireballs and, you know, uh, energy type of attacks or blasts or weapons or what have you, they're going to hurt him. Absolutely. But he can tank it and stay in the fight for a while. You know, you know, it's just something he does. And finally, in terms of opponents, yeah, Johnny Cage has a great array of opponents. But, you know, Mikey's no slouch. He's fought aliens, cyborgs, mutants, Shredder. He fought Bane. That's pretty cool. And he even fought Batman. And Batman is important because Batman has a win over Spawn, who Ray says is one of those powerful beings in the universe. That's who Michelangelo or Mikey fought. So yeah, in terms of opponents, he's pretty good. Now let me get to my point number two. And let's just talk about the fighting skills because this is what we love. We love the ninja aspect of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Now, first of all, he's a master martial artist. He's skilled in traditional Japanese ninjutsu. And this involves tactics, unarmed combat, weapon handling, stealth, and even espionage. Don't know how espionage is going to fit in this battle, but it's something cool he can do. Weapons, of course, his weapon of choice is typically the, the, the nunchucks, the double nunchucks. It's actually, as someone who does a lot of weapons work, double nunchucks is actually a hard style to do effectively, never mind combatively, and he's mastered that to possibly the greatest degree we've ever seen, other than Bruce Lee doing it, of course. You know, he's a master of acrobatics. He uses that in his fighting style, very similar to how Spider-Man does it, and he's going to hit you, flip away, come back at you from a weird angle, from behind, whatever. He's going to hit you from all these different angles that you're not expecting, and he's going to hit you hard. Again, he's got super strength and all that kind of good stuff, too. His endurance has been enhanced due to his training. Listen, ninjutsu does a lot of great stuff when it comes to enhancing your physicals, your flexibility, your speed, your strength, your endurance, your resilience. All of that gets magnified to a degree because ninjutsu trains the body and the mind for that. So just, you know, you've already got this physiologically superior being in this anthropomorphic, you know, teenage mutant ninja turtle or turtle, but then you add the ninjutsu on top of that, that magnifies his physicals. He's also got this really cool thing, the environmental adaptation. Look, it just means he's resourceful. He can use his environment you know, in really cool ways. Remember, he's fighting in the sewers in New York City. He's really good at spotting what's around him. How can I bounce off that wall that's at this angle? Is there something I can pick up and throw at the person, distract them, or hit him with something that they're not expecting? He is a master of that. This is not something that Johnny Cage can do. He is not that resourceful of a fighter. He's a great fighter, but we've never seen him say, hey, I'm going to pick up a garbage can and or garbage can and throw that at someone while I distract them while I hit them with a fireball. Just doesn't happen because he can't do it. In terms of resilience, his ninjutsu makes him have that strong mind. Again, it's going to come down to the mind games here. And Michelangelo is just someone, of course, he's joking around. He loves his pizza, cowabunga, dude. But you know what? It, at the heart of it, it's someone who doesn't want to give up. He doesn't want to let down his brothers. He doesn't want to let down humanity. And in a fight from here, he's going to be motivated through his ninjutsu to have that honorable, you know, kind of motivation to really win this fight. On top of that, some cool stuff. He's a master of pressure points. He knows how to hit different parts of the body, thanks to ninjutsu, and take someone out. Do a few of those hits to Johnny Cage, because he will get a few shots in at the very least. And Johnny Cage, all of a sudden, is not moving his arms and his legs too well anymore, thanks to Michelangelo. He's also an escape artist, being a ninja. Listen, who doesn't love 1980s ninja movies? If you haven't seen them, do yourself a favor. Treat yourself. Watch some of the greatest cinematic experiences of all time, known as American Ninja one through 95, whatever it is, and just watch how ninjas can escape from anything. You think Houdini's great? Oh, yeah, he is. Watch ninjas. They get out of everything. Car crashes, earthquakes, 
the earth being destroyed. Who knows what? A ninja is going to survive it, get out of it miraculously. And that's something Michelangelo can do. On top of that, he's great with his improvisation. Again, he's resourceful. He's insane. He can camouflage himself into his surroundings really, really well. How that works when you're a, a turtle the size of a person and you got a big shell and like a yellow bandana, you know, whatever he's got. The point is he can camouflage himself. This is crazy. On top of that, he's a tactical, not genius, but he's got a high level of tactics. He knows strategy, knows how to implement it. Again, he's being trained by Master Splinter for, you know, since he was like a, a, an infant to learn how to use the ways of ninjutsu. And this is just someone that's crazy because you take superhuman physicals and give them ninjutsu from a ninja master since they were a child, like an infant, all the way up until they're like 15, 16 years old. This is a different, complete animal. I'm using air quotes for animal that Johnny Cage is used to fighting. That's my point number two. How can you possibly sit there and say he is so vastly different than anything that Johnny Cage has fought after what I have said already? Johnny Cage has fought every branch of ninja under the sun. And I am not buying for a second this camouflage argument. I do not think Johnny Cage and Michelangelo throw down and suddenly Michelangelo leans against a wall and disappears. I don't think a six foot tall turtle is going to pull that move against Johnny Cage. And also because I believe in the research for this show, I have learned that the no, no danger zone of a turtle is found at the base of its tail, but not quite the very base. It's out a little bit further outside of the shell, which means that if Johnny Cage was doing a straight punch with his groin shot, he would not hit it. But now in more recent editions, the groin punch is an uppercut to the groin. He would absolutely hit the no, no danger zone against Michelangelo if he threw it. And you talk about motivation. You talk about not letting down the people around you. Johnny Cage, as we'll talk about in a moment, has an entire family at risk and he's not just talking about the city or some aspect of a corporation. He's trying to save the entire Earth realm from invasion from outside forces. The motivation card for Johnny Cage is tenfold what it would ever be for Michelangelo in his own fights. My point stands that Ray Sicanus' knowledge of the groin is just unsurpassed. I mean, that is impressive for you to have researched where uh, uh, you should actually be ashamed of yourself. I can't even James imagine Gabsy, what your browsing is like. I know how like. to hurt a great variety of opponents from years of training to do so. And that's why, generally speaking, people shouldn't try to fight me because I go there, as Robert Clark Chan hates saying on the show, but I go there and I go there fast. I can only imagine your browsing history. All right, Robert Clark Chan, we're at the turning point after hearing two points for me myself. You get to tell us who's ahead and what the other side has to do to win. But before we get to what Robert has to say, let's celebrate the Hoodwin Patron of the Week. Every week, we choose one of our amazing members of the Hoodwin Show's Patreon community and put them in a battle. Ray, which patron do we have today? Today, who we are celebrating on the show, we're going to go with Zebron Griffin. Zebron Griffin, ladies and gentlemen. Zebron Griffin, the coolest sibling from Peter Griffin's family. Obviously, Zebron. All right, yeah. here's the deal. Let's have him go against someone who's near and dear to race to Canis. Let's have him go up against Snake Eyes from the 1980 G.I. Joe cartoon. Wow, from the cartoon. That is a tough version to go up against. Now, Zebron Griffin uh, is going to get all geared up because you're not going to fight Snake Eyes. I know we say you're not allowed to prepare ahead of time, but let's face facts. If you even think Snake Eyes is a possibility, you better gear up for that opportunity for that fight. So he's got full military gear going on. He's got gadgets and drones and giant weapons, and he's going to show up and he's not going to see anything whatsoever. 
Why? Because Snake Eyes is a silent assassin, right? So Zebron Griffin is going to be standing there. He's going to be waiting for Snake Eyes. He's looking in. He's looking in the in the in the shadows, and he's not seeing him. He's looking on the rooftops. He's not seeing him. He quickly turns behind him and does not see him, because it turns out Zebron Griffin made a call to Destro before the fight, and Destro had some sort of major catastrophic event happening at least three states over, if not three countries over, and Snake Eyes was called away to not fight Zebra Griffin. Why? Because he's too smart to take that fight. It is technically battlefield removal, but Zebron, you get a win against Snake Eyes because he never showed up. A win is a win. That's all I got to say about that. Congratulations, Zebron. Amazing battle. All right, remember, you two can become a celebrated patron of the week. All you have to do is go to patreon.com slash show and sign up, and you may be featured in an upcoming episode of Who Would Win. Now, back to the turning point. Robert, you've had a moment to ponder two points for both Ray and myself. Who do you think is ahead, and what does the other side have to do to pull out the victory? I gave you guys a little push, and you came through for me. Much, much better. I uh, I think you made a lot of solid points. I really like the uh, the zoning argument. It makes a lot of sense, range. And James had a great counterpoint that Ninjinsu uh, covers all range as well. So that's kind of a wash, and I'm pretty impressed by that. Of course, uh, I, I don't think you did such a great job when you brought up all the wonderful ninja movies that are out there. Of course, I watched tons of ninja movies in the 80s. So many great ones. You know what aren't great ones? American Ninja any of the Michael Dudikoff movies, <laughs> why would that be your pull? I am very unhappy I'm sorry, about Robert that. Robert Clark Chan, hold on, I'm sorry. Th- this is back in the day, we're talking about a Canadian you know, corner store with a very small video section. We didn't even have Blockbuster, okay? And and that's all I had access to. That is, that that is. I please forgive what the, the crime that Canada committed upon me. Wow, okay, you know what? That is a truly sad tale. No. I, I feel for you. Can I say right now, I would rather pull from Three Ninjas High Noon at Mega Mountain with Hulk Hogan than any of the Michael Dudikoff films. I'll just go ahead and say it. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> I liked hearing about a lot of ninja opponents, so Cage is going to be ready for that. I, boy, I, I uh, we countered with Johnny Cage not necessarily being that resourceful. I do think that uh, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles uh, spend a lot of time in different environments. Yeah, sure. You're on a high bridge in one place and you're like in front of a, a temple in another place in Mortal Kombat, but you're still walking along the same 2D path. I I, th- I think Johnny Cage is used to limited environments and I think a, a, a neutral environment is going to offer more to... Uh, uh, Michelangelo. That being said, I, at this point, kind of, no, I can't. I can't. I think they're both real close. They're too close to uh, to make a decision at this point. Sorry. Wow. I don't think that's ever happened before with Robert Clark Chan judging the Who Would Win show where he didn't have a kind of a clear person in the lead after point number two. This is unprecedented, I think. I can't remember that far, but I get punch in the head a lot so my short-term memory is really bad with that being said let's go to our point number three and see if ray has what it takes point number three for johnny cage let's just bring this one home because first off robert clark chan i disagree with you there are environmental attacks all over the place in mortal Kombat games whether that's knocking people 
into certain areas where they would not want to be knocked into, uh, hazards, if you will, to using your environment to punch somebody off of a very tall bridge, punch them into toxic sludge, use a tree in the background to eat them. These are all things that happen in Mortal Kombat games. I would argue he absolutely is a master of his environment as any other Mortal Kombat character would be. And one of the big differences is personality between these two, because Michelangelo, honestly, is a party dude. He isn't necessarily known for taking all of the fighting too seriously. He did have a story arc where he did try to get his poop together, and, and that is fantastic. But Johnny Cage started with that exact same uh, story arc. However, in the more recent Mortal Kombat games, he actually has become a leader of Earthbound Special Forces, training the new generation of Mortal Kombat fighters, including his own daughter, Cassandra Cage, how to fight and how to fight monsters and aliens and demons because he has the experience of decades behind him and he lived to see another day. We cannot say the same for every other Mortal Kombat fighter. Johnny Cage is one of the few who actually lived to have a kid with Sonya Blade and then Sonya Blade didn't make it herself. So this is a guy whose own kid, sorry folks, this is a guy whose own kid uh, helped spur him on to be a better person. And Michelangelo has not had that same struggle and so therefore maybe has those kind of wild temptations still, whereas Johnny Cage is down to business. In fact, in Mortal Kombat 11, fantastic plot point where they use time mechanics in order to bring the old version of Johnny Cage from early games to the new one who has his poop together. And that guy literally got so sick of old Johnny Cage's BS, he pulled him into an air airport hangar and beat the heck out of him to try to teach him to respect everyone around him. New Johnny Cage slaps a little bit differently. First off, Johnny Cage has one power that I think is important in this battle. He's got something called Red Shadow Mode. If Johnny Cage is dropped to 5% health, if he's taken to his absolute limits, he suddenly uh, has an ability to do more damage, better counters. He's a better fighter when he's at the very end. And Michelangelo does not have such a bonus. Let's face facts. Even the most basic first generation Johnny Cage could punch a guy's head off if he wanted to. Not only that, there was a wild thing that happened where he could punch a guy's head off that got replaced by another head. And he punched off like, what, three, four, five heads? That shouldn't be physically possible, but Johnny Cage did it. Now, Johnny Cage utilizes something that I don't think is outside interference called his stunt double. He has a yellow magical spell that conjures a second Johnny Cage stunt double that will jump from behind and grab his opponent, allowing him to jam him. Also, he can cast that same magic spell to create a second Johnny Cage that lunges and does the spear, much like either Goldberg or Edge, depending on which ref wrestling reference you prefer. He can drop him down whenever he needs to, and that can also interrupt other attacks great thing that he can do whenever he wants to but let's talk about some of the fatalities because he once used a karate chop to split a person's head in 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 two parts and took an academy award or some sort of award he won and shoved it into the hole this is a guy who's been able to rip torsos off of bodies when he wants to my favorite thing he punched a guy's head off ripped off the torso threw the torso at the ground that shockwave bounced the head back up in the air and he caught the head and stared at it. He was able to punch a guy in the face and pull out his brain. 
He was able to hit a backbreaker so hard on somebody that they literally exploded in bones and gore. Michelangelo has no answer for any of this violence. He also did something that I still can't believe. He got behind his opponent when they were dazed, put his two hands to their torso, ripped a hole in the middle of their chest, stuck his head through it and said, here's Johnny. That's right. He has the capacity for violence to do a shining reference in the middle of a fight to end his opponent. And my favorite of all the groin moves, and they would work against Michelangelo, but he once hit somebody in the groin so hard that their head exploded. And if their head didn't explode, it shot out the top of their body with their spinal cord still attached to it. Johnny Cage is capable of levels of violence that Michelangelo, quite frankly, has no answer for at all. And that's my point number three. You know, there's so many layers to Johnny Cage. That's why I love the character. But here's the problem, right? You're already kind of helped me out with this unintentionally. You know, he's now training the new generation. There's this old martial arts expression, which I believe is used in a whole bunch of different areas as well. It goes like this. If you can, do. If you can't, teach. So what you're pretty much telling me is that Johnny Cage can't anymore because he's teaching martial arts as opposed to doing martial arts or doing the fighting. I hate to say it, but now he's kind of at that stage of his life. Whatever. It happens to the best of us. I'm one of those rare few that can, uh, you know, teach and fight at the same time. But we're not debating me. We're debating Johnny Cage. On top of that, you're talking about fatalities. Now, one thing I love about Mortal Kombat is the fa- are the fatalities. But the thing is, your opponent has to be pretty much done, like already defeated. Their, their energy bar has to be at zero or close to it, whatever it is, where you can apply the fatality. It's... During the fight itself, you're not pulling a fatality out of the air and doing it. No, no, no. It's when they're already defeated. So, you know, if he wins, then he can do a fatality, but he's got to actually beat him before he can actually use it. It's kind of a weird thing. Uh, Look, on top of that, I'll tell you this much. Johnny Cage, as a fighter, he's a hell of an actor. You know, doing the whole, hey, here's Johnny thing by looking at That's awesome. He's an amazing actor. Can't wait to see him in American Ninja uh, 37, whatever it is. And, you know, I agree, though. Teenage Mikey, he's a little too easygoing. I, I will actually readily agree with that. He may not be ready for this kind of physicality or this kind of fight. Luckily, that's not the version I'm repping today. So that brings me to my point number three. Let's talk about what many call the ultimate version of Michelangelo, the most powerful of all the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. That's right. I'm talking about the last Ronin. Now, in the last Ronin storyline in comics, what I'm referring to, one of the turtles survives while the others all perish. It's revealed that the surviving turtle is Michelangelo, who becomes this grim avenger in this dystopian future, and he adopts the weapons and skills of all of his brothers. So now he's like the ultimate, you know, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle as an adult with all the skills and weaponry of his brothers, plus a whole lot more. Now, the last one is a vastly more powerful and experienced version of Michelangelo. Uh, He retains all that previous ninja and fighting abilities, but he's also got enhanced skills and powers. He's much, much bigger. He's much more powerful. So. Again, he's got that mastery in weapons, that last Ronin version. He's proficient in all the weapons his brothers once used. That means he's got Leonardo's katanas, Donatello's bow staff, Raphael's size, and of course, his own nunchucks, and his proficiency is in a wider range of weapons. This makes him really unpredictable and really crazy good in fighting. He's got what are called advanced martial arts. Now, his skills have grown more refined. They're absolutely more deadly over the years. This goes beyond that traditional ninjutsu he used to rely on by Master Splinter. This is something who incorporates 
various other forms of martial arts into his combat style. Talking about Jeet Kune Do, he went beyond all of ninjutsu and started taking other styles to do it and just make himself even a better fighter. He's got enhanced strength. So as the last Ronin, he's about three times stronger than his already super strength powered teenage self. He's got enhanced endurance. He's got enhanced endurance and durability, and he can withstand way more damage. Fights through severe injuries, continues missions despite considerable physical pain because that mind control over his body, that resilience is even more powerful. He's got enhanced stealth. He can operate covertly. He can disappear, kind of pull a Batman on people. All of a sudden, he's there and he's gone. Uh, listen, this is someone who can absolutely disappear in front of you. He's got heightened agility. Now, this is crazy. He's already jumping across a city block from one rooftop to another. Well, like, guess what? He can jump much further now and kind of jump higher, too. This is crazy. He can perform these incredible, freaky acrobatic feats. He's got advanced tactical analysis. Look, all this means is he's now an adult. He's been through the you-know-what, and now his tactics, his strategies are that much more refined. This is someone who's been through a war seen his family die, and now he's out for whatever he needs to do revenge-wise to make things right. His speed has also gone up dramatically. So as fast as he was before, he's even faster now. Look, fun fact, unlike this previous persona, the last Ronin doesn't hesitate to kill anymore. Ray, you brought this up. It was a brilliant point to bring up. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle version of Mikey, he's not killing. Last Ronin, he's killing with no problems whatsoever. And again, you know, in terms of opponents, let's just kind of go there. So you've got all the people that Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle version of Michelangelo has already fought. But on top of this, you know, he beat the elite guard. This is, uh, you know, the guard that uh, that version of uh, Shredder uses. They're all enhanced soldiers and what have you. He's beaten them all. He's absolutely decimated the Foot Clan. You know, he went to their headquarters and just took them out one by one. And that they came at him and, you know, hordes, whatever. He just took them all out because that's what he did. And finally, he destroyed... Oroko Hiroto, that's that version of Shredder in this dystopian future. And this Shredder is way more powerful, way stronger, a better fighter with everything else going for him. And Michelangelo is the last one just went in there and absolutely wrecked him. Look, when you take the greatness that is Michelangelo from the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and then say, hey, by the way, all your brothers died. So now you get to learn all of their weapons. You're going to be three times stronger, way faster, way more endurance, way more durable. And now that whole, hey, I'm going to hesitate in case I kill something. No, 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 no. That's gone. You're killing people with extreme prejudice. This is now a completely different opponent who would do very well in that Mortal Kombat tournament and who's going to rip apart Johnny Cage. That's why Johnny Cage loses. That's why Michelangelo wins. That's my point number three. No, 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 no. No, stop it right there. First off, I will not stand for your teacher hate. Uh, I love and respect teachers here in this household. Those who can do, those who cannot teach. That's an old statement. I would argue that because new Johnny Cage, or I say older Johnny Cage, took his younger self to that airplane hangar and beat the ever-loving bejesus out of him for being disrespectful, clearly he can do and can also teach. I'd also like to see you say that to Captain America's face, the guy who taught most of the Marvel uh, continuity how to fight on their own. That is an outrageous statement. Now, the last Ronin comic books, wonderful. Very, very recent comics. Uh, it's also not connected in any way to the canon continuity of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles story. It is a what if on its own level and therefore should be taken with a grain of salt. I'm excited to hear you use your most of your entire point number three on something that is considered non-canon. And also you said, oh, people don't hesitate to kill. Who hesitates to kill in the world of Mortal Kombat? A fatality seems to end every single match 
in the world of Mortal Kombat. Not just that, you talked about fatalities only happening when you have somebody beat down. Newer versions of Mortal Kombat added something called brutalities, which means if you do a certain series of events, hit a certain series of moves, and your opponent is within 25% health, you can end the match right there with a brutality. The point I'm trying to make here is also, we are talking about Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Forever Teenagers. When I think of the best version, I think of the teenage version. When I think of Johnny Cage, I think of the best version as well, which is the one who can beat his past self and has the knowledge and skills it takes to win because he was a member of Special Forces. Look, we're never going to agree on this one. That's why we have an incredible judge such as Robert Clark Chan. So, Robert, here's the deal. You've heard three points from both Rain and myself. It's time for you to make a decision. Take us through your process. Tell us the story, if you will, and reveal who you think wins this battle between Johnny Cage and Michelangelo. Like I said, uh, first round was pretty even. Yeah, a lot of fighting. Uh, Michelangelo kind of has the edge in terms of just raw physicals i think in round two johnny cage might have the edge to sort of balance out with more skills like more actual fighting he has had more direct fighting experience if we're talking like adventuring i feel like uh the teenage mutant ninja turtles have that they've done more things they've gone to more dimensions than johnny cage has but uh (laughs) <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of comics. I, I, I see which I see those eyeballs. Mm-mm. But in the so so, I got to see what this last round looks like. And coming uh, coming in pretty good. The uh, the personality, I personality is a bad word. I don't think you should be headed there. I think experience uh, says a lot. I think that yeah, he he's a grizzled veteran who has been doing this a long time. And yeah, is able to train new special forces, whatever, still has, you know, like a Sergeant Slaughter, like can still go, but wants to pass on what he knows. Michelangelo's last Ronin, I, yeah, I don't really know what to do with this because James did say IDW uh, Michelangelo. It is an IDW book, but it also is kind of an Elseworldsy situation. I guess I'm going to have to let it be most of the, because yeah, you yes, it's a teenage Ninja turtle, but you are going to expect the strongest version of that. And I think we could say that, you know, like most any version of Michelangelo would approach these levels, which is fine. I got a, I got a lot of uh, showing and not telling though. Like I, I heard that he was a tactical genius many times and no real uh, hard data to back that up. On the other hand, yeah, fatalities, man. You spent a lot of time, Ray, on fatalities and fatalities are the flash after the fight. Once the person's beaten, then you get to do your big old fatalities. You mentioned brutalities, which is great, but you just mentioned brutalities. You didn't tell me any of them, just that uh, the fatalities are real awesome and uh, you can do a brutality at 25%. I don't know what those are. Uh, So I guess what happens is we're going to be meeting on a battleground that's uh, got some room to uh, hide, to jump around, to move around, things to throw at each other. Sure, let's put it over a pit full of spikes. Why not? They're going at it. Johnny Cage, 
starts whipping out the fireballs and the shadow kicks, and they're mostly deflected by the shells. But the shell can take all of it. You know, the shells get dented. They get scarred. Enough fireballs are going to uh, really uh, put a hurt on Michelangelo, but Michelangelo also can fight at any range, and uh, he can just dart around. He'll be up behind Johnny Cage before you know it, take a shot, you know, to the back of the head. At the end of it, everybody's pretty beaten and battered. Then one of them drops down, does an uppercut right up into the, let's see, I believe the technical term is turtle nuts. And the shelled one, the last of the turtles, takes a dive. Johnny Cage wins this battle. Far from a flawless victory. Wow. I got to tell you, I got to tell you, it's very rare when a judge doesn't give me the decision, but then I kind of come away from the explanation and say, I could totally see that. Look, it all comes down to one thing. I think Johnny Cage will do whatever he wants to win or whatever he needs to to win the fight, pull any tactic he needs to. And I do think that Mikey's sense of honor, even as a last Ronin, may prevent him from kind of doing the uh, hit to the no-no danger zone uh, foo or doe or style that Johnny Cage has. I actually am okay. I'm in agreement with this. Race to Canis. Congratulations on this win. How do you feel right now? That was absolutely wild because the thing about, as you said uh, so eloquently, turtle nuts is that they are located inside the turtle's body uh, next to the kidneys. But based on what we've seen Johnny Cage do with some of his punches, especially those x-ray attacks, he can hit you internally and hit those spots. Yes, the uh, the no-no danger zone might be more outside the body, but the part you referred to is definitely reachable in the way that I have described. So I appreciate for the first time. And what is this? You've been on the show now like 22 times. Do I have like three wins when you're the judge? I'm happy that you finally listened to me. A thing that I know is hard to do after knowing is half the podcast. Robert Clark Chan, thank you for doing the right thing this week. It's not easy, especially when so many of the things you say are wrong or weak. Outrageous. Or just a not a good argument. Now I know but, you're trolling. Uh, you, you, you took this one. Good on you. By the way, we just got a new sponsor. Got a new text. Uh, Turtle Nuts. Not just for oh. lunch anymore. Yeah, this is uh, our new sponsor. All right, that is a win for us. That is a cash windfall. So great. See, even when I lose, Ray loses too. All right. Honestly, that was the goal of this episode from the outset. So I'm glad to see they're so quick on the draw. These Canadian sponsors, they're wacky. What can I tell you? Listen, Robert Clark Chan, you are a national treasure. I've said this once. I'll say it again. We need you back on the show a whole lot more. Why not have you on one season like 180 times just because it would be fantastic. I know. Ray would love that. I can tell you right now. It's a long season. Oh, God, I just hurt. I just hurt internally. It's it, where where Turtle Nuts are. Now, listen, Robert Clark Chan, tell the Legion of Audience, our fan base, where they can find you online. Uh, you can find me over there at knowingishalfthepodcast.com. Find it on your better podcast catchers. 
your worst podcast catcher. Any podcasting device will get you to it. Uh, AE Doubleback, it's a little more niche if you're uh, into professional wrestling and uh, uh, all elite wrestling in particular. You should go check those out. You can find me on Twitter. <laughs> no, you can't. And the statement has been made. All right. Ray Sicanus, congratulations on a pretty good win. It was close, but even I have to admit, you got the uh, you edged out the victory on that one. Tell the Legion of Audience where they can find you. I mean, look, I can appreciate a judge as honorable as Robert Clark Chan sandbagging how great my victory was today due to personal animosity. At this point in my journey with Robert Clark Chan, if there wasn't deep resentment and animosity, I'd wonder what I was doing wrong all of these years. This was a great victory. This was an expected victory. You put me, not just with any video game character on this show, but you put me with Johnny Cage, the greatest Mortal Kombat character, not named Striker. I'll say it. He's my favorite, but Johnny Cage is my number two. And I would never say that on the show before Robert Clark Chan made his decision because I understand that that statement could have cost me outright out the gate. Of course, I deserve this. I'm great. Hashtag Ray is right. Hashtag awkward allies. Hashtag Rainiacs. Y'all saw what happened. Last week was a little fishy. This week was right on schedule. When I appear on the show repping a character as genius as Johnny Cage, as equal to myself in greatness as Johnny Cage, there can be no other decision other than a Ray flawless victory. You can find me on threads at Almighty Ray 316. I, I just asked where they could find you. We, we got a whole beat. And uh, James Gavsey, I had a lot more to say than just that. And you know what the two words I think of when I think of this episode? Be best. Because I am best, and I was best, so I will be best today. Brought to you by Turtle Nuts. Ray Sikane's favorite snack. They're delicious. They're chewy and green. I can taste them. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook by typing in at James Gavs. Remember to join the official Who Would Win Facebook group to make a suggestion for a matchup for the show and to be part of our growing community. You can find us on Instagram and TikTok at Who Would Win Show. Don't forget to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever else you go for your podcast. On behalf of myself, Ray Sikane, and the rest of the amazing Who Would Win production team, thank you once again for checking out another episode of Who Would Win. We'll see you next time. It's Brent Pope, the host of Breakfast with Brent Pope. You've seen me on some of your favorite TV shows saying things like, give it up, Jimmy. You got to sink this putt to win. On Breakfast with Brent Pope, I sit down with guests from the entertainment world and we do it all over breakfast. Or should I say breakfast? Every week on Breakfast, you get inside Hollywood info and tips, great breakfast wrecks and booty debates. Most of all, you get the most delightful 30 minutes of your week. So dig in. It's breakfast time. Listen at breakfast.com, Apple Podcasts, or wherever fine podcasts are found. Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. 
But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hey, gang. I hope you enjoyed this episode and love listening to the show as much as we enjoyed making it. Quick reminder that you can support us by going to patreon.com slash show right now. Okay, got to prepare for next week's episode. Hope the rest of your day is full of wins.